to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Are you a Canadian who buys supplements or sunscreen or other natural health products? Then you should tune in about the new Health Canada proposed costs to the industry that could affect your access to the supplements, the cost of these supplements and other natural health care products, and have a potentially significant impact on businesses in Canada, or will it? Stay tuned for today's Wild Wisdom Show. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills, a medical doctor with a different spin on health. I'm a specialist in physical medicine rehabilitation, functional medicine practitioner, and I love taking complicated science, and in this case, information, and breaking it down into easy to understand uh, you know, information as well that you can put into action for immediate results. And today, we're going to be talking about whether or not Health Canada is, in the words of social media, sabotaging our supplements and other natural health products. And this is respect to with respect to the new cost recovery fees proposal that is coming. Uh, this is all coming down in uh, 2023, if you're watching this at a later date. However, the fees will be implemented in by 2025. So there's a big window of opportunity here for action. So by the end of this uh, show, I'm going to explain to you what you can do to take positive action on this topic and increase the chances of uh, Health Canada taking into consideration your opinion. So in preparation for this presentation, I actually got in touch with Health Canada and was able to connect with a representative and gather some information that I requested. There's still some information pending that has not come in time for this presentation. And if there's anything that comes in that I think is important, I will definitely do an addendum uh, talk. And the other representative that I spoke to in depth was from the Canadian Health Food Association. And the Canadian Health Food Association is Canada's largest not-for-profit trade association dedicated to natural, organic, and wellness products. And it has many members, for including manufacturers, retailers, wholesalers, distributors, and importers. And I spent a couple of hours on the phone with one of their representatives and also read through I don't know how many websites and forms and petitions and all of these things so that I could get as good of an understanding as possible on this extremely complicated and controversial topic. And what I can say is that um, for the purpose of your understanding and being able to take action, I'm not going to cover all of the information that I've learned. I'm going to select and sift through what I think will be most helpful. If you have any questions, put them in the comments. If you're joining me live, please feel free to put in your name and where you're calling in from, and also put in your questions in the comments. And if you're joining me live, I'll get to see those comments real time and do my best to answer them for you. All right, so let's get started here. Let's provide a little bit of background. 
So now, you know, the industry in Canada divides itself somewhat by regulations in terms of food industry, self-care products, and then drugs and medical devices. And self-care products in Canada are designated as cosmetics, natural health products, and non-prescription drugs. Um, so, for example, Tylenol and ibuprofen. Uh, and now coming up, it seems like even there will be some over-the-counter um, birth control options, for example. What natural health products are, and that's what's going to be affected by these new fees to businesses that um, sell, import, and distribute natural health products, is anything uh, that contains naturally occurring substances that are used to restore or maintain good health. So they can be made from plants, animals, microorganisms, and marine sources, as an example. So what can that include uh, in Canada? Again, that includes vitamins and minerals, which I'm a huge fan of, right? I use a lot of supplements personally and recommendations to clients and patients. So I'm very interested in this topic, of course. Herbal remedies, homeopath homeopathic remedies, traditional medicines like Chinese traditional medicine, Ayurveda, you know, and in Canada in particular, indigenous medicines, probiotics, amino acids and fatty acids, everything that is not um, a prescription drug and not a food. It's kind of like everything in between. And interestingly, also certain toothpastes, um, deodorants, antiperspirants, shampoos, facial products, and mouthwashes and sunscreens are also classified as natural health products in Canada. So that those industries stand to be affected by what's going on as well. And if you use these products, uh, you could be affected. And it, and what we're going to be discussing is what could be the impact and should you be worried about this? So just a general estimate, 71% of Canadians have used natural health products like vitamins and minerals, herbal products and homeopathic medicine. I would venture to say almost 100% have used, you know, a natural health product within the last year if you're including things like toothpaste and antiperspirants and shampoos and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, again, everyone stands to be affected in some way. And it's estimated, again, this is an estimate by Health Canada on their website. I couldn't find the research that confirms this or not, that 12% of Canadians who use natural health products report that they have experienced unwanted side effect, effects and adverse reactions. And what I want you to understand is that there's an even deeper background story to this in that there are... Um, you know, some people in Canada, like populations in Canada, small populations, I would say, relative to the general population, that don't believe that natural health products should be regulated at all, that they should belong, they should be deregulated. And we'll talk about what that means, like, you know, how did regulation of natural health products happen in Canada, but they should be deregulated like food. So, you know, no, um, no oversight, no safety regulations beyond some basic, you know, what's what's with the food industry. And, uh, and part of their, um, you know, reasoning behind it is that they give a lot of statistics around for comparing the risk of being struck by lightning versus being, uh, you know, dying from taking something like a supplement, right? And obviously, um, they're quoting some risks that are like, you know, it's much more likely you're going to be hit by lightning than if you're going to be 
hit, you know, die from a supplement um, adverse reaction. Now, the problem with that is that right up until recently, there was no requirement for a um, doctor, um, for example, working in a hospital to report an adverse reaction from a natural health product like a supplement. So if someone came in with a, um, you know, and, and the thing about supplements is I have to say is that they are extremely powerful, right? I mean, you, you, you take them because they're going to have a positive effect on your health. We don't want just expensive pee. We want health effects. So they do have health effects. And whenever you take something that has health effects, there can be unwanted side effects and there can be adverse reactions and some known adverse reactions of supplements and other natural health products like, um, you know, sunscreens, talc powder, you know, for example, Johnson and Johnson right now is, um, you know, in court over um, litigations around the cause of a very rare lung uh, uh, cancer called mesothelioma, which is, a, has been the, the, in the courts, there's been someone who actually won a case against Johnson & Johnson, one of their subsidiaries, that there was asbestos in the talc and that caused cancer because he was exposed to it significantly as a baby and onward. So, you know, there are um, known consequences. And what I've seen as a doctor and what I've, I've also read reports on are things like liver failure, um, significant skin reactions. Like I remember one of the first patients I saw in... Um, the hospital, the children's hospital in Ottawa, Chio, um, was a the the child who had taken a Chinese herbal medication lost all of his skin. It was like this severe Steven Johnson syndrome reaction where just boom, he lost all of his skin, affected him for life. Is it common? No, very rare. However, can it happen? Yes. As a person who recognizes the power of you know things like supplements. Do I want some regulation to ensure that I'm buying what if I buy something, it, it has what it says it has in it. It has um, it's been, you know, somewhat vetted by some kind of committee, you know, in terms of its safety and effectiveness. I personally would like that, especially as a doctor who's recommending um, supplement supplements to people. I would like them to feel safe around the use of it in that when they read the label uh, you know, at least what's on the label has been accurately verified, whether or not there's additional benefits that are not on the label, that's up to the consumer to, you know, um, wade through that information on their own. But at least if the information has been vetted by Health Canada, and it says on the label that these are the things that this supplement, for example, works for, you know that there has been some work done behind the scenes to assure that process. In comparison with the U.S., for example, which I was surprised to find out about, I didn't actually know this, is that there's no pre-marketing requirements. So any person, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I got this information um, through my research online and, and through speaking to these representatives, is that if someone wants to sell a product in the U.S. like a supplement, they simply um, can bottle it up, like make it bottle up, bottle it up and sell it. However, there's very strong post-marketing surveillance. So if, um, you know, um, the U.S. officials come after that, sub, you know, that company and looks into it and looks into the product and its manufacturing processes and what's in it, the quality and the claims, if they are found to be lacking, then there can be repercussions. But you as a consumer could be purchasing something that has not had any oversight and it could be absolutely anything in there, no guarantee of quality. So 
So that's the state of, of affairs in the U.S. Whereas in Canada, um, it's now uh, under the regulation of the Natural Health Products Regulation, which cre was created in 2004. So this was a brand new thing for the natural health products industry. And relatively recently, 2004, it just feels recent to me because I still remember when it was the year 2000 and we were celebrating that for New Year's, right? So, but it hasn't really, it's not that recently, I guess, anymore. Um, but at that time, there was this new uh, requirement to for that natural health products to get a product license. And that process required a certain amount of paperwork in terms of providing information on the product, any research that had been done on the product, um, not necessarily by the company submitting the application, but had there been any research done that they could find um, you know, uh, in any location in the world. And if there was enough evidence to support the use of that product for that indication, for example, um, a sunscreen saying that it helped uh, anti-wrinkle, anti Right. And that sunscreen used a filter that was mineral based like zinc. That would be considered a natural health product. They're making a health claim that it's anti wrinkle uh, and it would be given a natural um, product number. But they would have to submit the research um, showing or, or the data, you know, and there was no specific requirement for the research, unlike the drug. Um, and medical devices industry, if you if you're a prescription drug, that company needs to submit a significant amount of research on humans and they call it phase one phase two phase three trials where it's like first you do it in the lab then you do it on animals then you do it on humans and then you do a certain kind of research on humans which is usually very large expensive randomized controlled trials it can take a drug company about 10 years and 800 million dollars to get approval um, to get their drug identification number Whereas a natural health product, before it didn't even need a number, now it needs a number. And that process um, is different from that with, with drugs, but there is a process at least. And so there's this application process. If you go online, you have to fill out all the requirements. If Health Canada reads through it and approves it, then you get this number and you're allowed to put a certain amount of information on the label depending on the information that you provided, right? So that sunscreen can say it's anti-wrinkle, but maybe it can't say it makes you look like you're, you know, uh, 40 years younger because there's no evidence for that, right? So just as an, a very brief example. So I can't put that on the label. So um, you can now, as a result of that, identify which products, natural health products, have been um, allowed to be for sale in Canada. So as an example, this is one of my favorite sunscreens by Think Baby. And if you look at, there's a natural product number, which is an eight digit number. And you can see that here, okay? And here's a, um, here's a supplement that has been gone through the Canada health approval process through the natural health products regulations, and they have a natural product number. However, you can still in Canada, by natural health products that have not gone through that process. For example, here's a supplement um, that's an excellent supplement from the US, um, but you buy it online and it's there are still ways to buy things online that don't go through that process. It's like an international online access that um, like, you know, just kind of escapes the, the regulatory process of Health Canada, for example, right? So it's still possible to buy products in Canada, but you know, obviously Health Canada is trying its best to protect Canadians. At least that's my interpretation of it. 
in terms of saying if it's got this natural product number, it's it's gone through the licensing requirements. What's important to understand is that in 2004, these requirements were put in, which did create a little bit of um, panic and did change the industry at that time because there were some small businesses that, um, you know, said this is too onerous for us. We can't go through this process. Um, and there's a certain amount of time that Health Canada takes to create these natural product numbers. And uh, anyways, so there were some um, products that the Canadian market lost from small businesses, like really small businesses. As an example, at my local health food store, the owner was telling me that at the time, what one thing that was noticeably lost was an anti-parasite supplement that the farmers were using on their animals to cleanse the animals. And they love this supplement. And unfortunately, that small business went out, um, you know, did not survive that uh, change. Um, but there were no fees charged. Okay, unlike the drugs and medical devices where fees were initiated, as far as I could tell, again, from the Health Canada websites in 2020. So there's, there's these fees, and they're called cost recovery fees, in the sense that there's a certain amount of, um, you know, that Health Canada has to employ people to review the licenses and make decisions and process, you know, it's a program that requires infrastructure and, um, and, and a cost is associated with it. And there's direct costs and indirect costs. So there's this cost associated with um, applying these regulations. So again, currently, uh, before these new cost recovery fees were put into place for the natural health products, which just happened this year, um, the natural health products compared to drugs and medical devices had no fees versus the drugs and medical devices had fees. Um, there was no specific research requirements. So the, the company, uh, for example, wants to release, you know, as I, you know, as an example, silicon, right? And um, they didn't have to have done the research themselves. They, they simply have to provide, you know, maybe they go on to PubMed and they find a few research studies showing that silicon helps. It's safe. You know, this study was done in humans. There were no adverse effects noted. And they submit that paperwork to the government and they receive this natural health product number. Um, whereas it's a lot more onerous for drugs. And I'm glad of that difference in the sense that I'm glad it's extremely um, uh, stringent for prescription medications to receive their drug identification number. Um because obviously they are extremely powerful medicinal effects that also have extremely powerful side effects as a potential, right? So there is there is that. Um, and the other thing is that um, why why is it that the drug industry can survive with such high costs in terms of um, not just the fees but also the uh, you know eight hundred million dollars to do the research and and all so so that they can say that this helps with X Y Z is that they can patent their product and no one else can replicate that product until the patent expires right just i don't even know 20 40 years sorry if i got that wrong but it's as an example whereas in the um, natural health product world you can't patent so if someone comes up with like a really amazing supplement combination of different you know things in that supplement it becomes very popular another company can come along and create the exact same supplement combination there's you know there's no patent protection so what that means is that um, there's a lot of co fierce competition in the natural health products world. And I'll use supplements again as an example. Like if you want to buy silicon, you have so many options. 
So, you know, you can buy it from a very large company like AOR, or you can buy it from a smaller company like Vitality or, you know, medium sized like Douglas and Biotics. And again, I apologize if you're not a medium sized versus small sized business, but I'm just giving an example that there are, um, there is industry in the supplement business, for example, where AOR as an example and Vogel as another example, they do put money, like some of their profit towards research. So they're primarily the ones doing things like randomized control trials on supplements, determining, you know, com- taking a group of humans, dividing them into two or more groups and putting them either on a sham treatment or the supplement and seeing does the result actually end up being um, a difference, right? And that's we're starting to see that more and more in things like Ayurveda medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, that research is being done in universities uh, across the world. So we're getting that kind of information, but it's it's less available in the supplement industry because AOR then, for example, can't patent that product that they made. Um, So they stand to make less money uh, from it. So they get the results that silicon is amazing, for example, and then all of these other supplement companies can create that same product. So then we can buy it from AOR who put that money into it, or we can buy it from a smaller business, a more local business, a medium-sized business, right? So they make less money, theoretically. That's the perception. That's that's like the industry perception. And uh, they've had a pretty um, uh, you know, good deal, or you could call it a sweet deal, in that they haven't had to pay any fees um, in order to get their product number. Um, and there's no, there isn't actually a requirement to do those large studies. Those studies are done out of like, I don't know why AOR and them do it. I'm grateful for them to do it, right? But there's no obvious um, other than to be proving to the consumer that it works. Um, they can't patent it, so they can't make a lot of money on it, you know, compared to drug industry. So those are some of the subtle differences, but important differences between the natural health products um, world and the drug and medical devices world, keeping in mind that that includes things like sunscreen, right? So that's an interesting factor. So what happened was that as of 2004, these natural health product regulations in health in Canada have become somewhat of a gold standard in, in the world. Like other countries look to Health Canada and say, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Like, you know, you've got these standards in place. Um, however, an audit done uh, through an internal branch of the government of Canada in 2021 raised concerns about the natural health product labels in that uh, their concerns was that they were very difficult to read in cases, some cases you needed like a magnifying glass uh, and that it wasn't standardized. So in the drug industry, when you create a label for your drug, it's all standardized. Like this information comes followed by that information, that information. So theoretically, you can look all across it and compare. And um, whereas with supplements, um, everyone was kind of doing it very differently. So as an example, this is a, a label from this supplement. And here's a label from that supplement. You can see that they're very different. And if I wanted to compare them, I would have to, you know, kind of look at one place here, another place there and, and so forth. So what, you know, whether or not that's an issue that would require a complete rehaul of the system, we don't know, but that was brought up as an issue. And also more importantly, I think, is that the audit showed that even though we had these regulations in place for pre-market surveillance and post-market surveillance, 
the post-market surveillance by Health Canada, what they were doing was not um, up to their own um, expectations as dictated by the regulation. So they took a sample of between 20 and 25 um, businesses operating Canada selling natural health products. And they went through and looked at whether or not Health Canada had you know, followed up on XYZ, had looked at the sites and done, you know, um, site inspections, for example, right, all of the post-marketing things to ensure that if a product is being made, is it being made in good quality? And is what the, and and did they, did the company actually put on the label what the um, agreement was with Health Canada based on that licensing procedure? So that it was found that they were not meeting those expectations. So Health Canada said, okay, um, as a result of this audit, we need better labels and we need more money to fund better surveillance. So it's not that the regulations as they stand are not good. We're going to keep them the same. We're not going to make them, for example, more strict at this point in time, but we're going to, uh, we're going to have to eventually charge, a we're going to have to eventually charge the industry and again, this is the only this industry has not been charged to date as compared to the drugs and medical devices industry, which has been charged since 2020. Um, we're going to start charging this industry as well so that we can have the money to fund the necessary um, direct and indirect costs associated with doing um, with just implementing our regulations, which have been in place since 2004. Now. What is in, what the thing about it about this whole situation as to why industry is upset about this is not the fact that a cost recovery fee is neat is um, needed. We're going to get into this, but how everything played out from that moment in time. So I'm going to tell you the story so you can better understand why there why um, stakeholders, large stakeholders such as the Canadian Health Food Association, are upset. Let me paint the picture. So what happened first was that um, in July 2022, the um, Health Canada released uh, seemingly suddenly to the industry these new labeling requirements. And the the concern by the industry regarding these requirements is that uh, number one, that when they did when they showed what that the um, requirements what the labeling would look like, it was like right now, for example. If I were to read the ingredient list on um, a supplement, most supplements will list the ingredients. Like, let's say there's five ingredients. It's like they'll list them like one, two, three, four, five, one above the other, right? With the dose of each ingredient. So if I'm buying like a vitamin B complex where there's more than one ingredient, there's like, let's say five or more vitamins, I can see exactly a list like in a column of all of the um, ingredients and beside each ingredient, the amount. So it's very easy for me as a consumer to go in and take a look. And I do that all the time. I'm very careful about my ingredients, right? Whereas now with the new labeling, um, you, instead of having it as a column, it's listed all in a row. So it's like da -da 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 -da, all running in a row. It's very hard to read. And that's the industry said this is very hard to read. The consumer is going to have a hard time understanding it. Not only that. Um, for this minimal change of like standard standardizing the labels, the cost to the business is going to be big because there's a big cost associated with revamping and changing all of the labels, right? And because it's harder to get all the information on the label the way that Health Canada wants it to be done now, there's going to have to be um, different ways that labeling are done, such as 
putting that double label on, you know, when you peel back the label and you have to look underneath the label. And that is not only a bigger cost, but also environmentally not great. You're you're using more um, material. So these were all of the concerns. The big concerns, however, I think was the costs, right? So they're kind of, you know, and uh, they also the human factor here was that and this is me reading between the lines a little bit, talking to representatives and stakeholders, is that they were um, surprised by the lack of consultation um, between Health Canada and this, the people who would be involved, such as industry and stakeholders like the CHFA. Um, and that there is, uh, and if they had been given the opportunity to be involved in the process, they would have pointed out that there actually is what's called labeling science. So there's research done on how labels should be um, created to better support consumer choice and, and information. So, you know, there was this sort of like mistrust that was created as a result of how that was launched. So that was, that's the human factor. And then what happened was to compound, to add on to the situation, was that Health Canada suddenly announced, and the word suddenly is like maybe Health Canada didn't think it was sudden, but the industry thought it was sudden and that they were given less than 24 hours notice that this, this cost recovery proposal um, fee was going to be released and then it was released. And this and the fees were determined and released with no industry consultation. So the industry expected that there would be cost recovery fees. Um, not everybody in the industry, okay, I'll, I'll mention that in a little bit, but uh, a lot of people, um, including the Canadian Health Food Association and their members, their expectation was that, yes, eventually there would be a cost to the industry um, where, you know, there would be a cost to get a product number and a cost to have a site license and a cost to operate yearly. Those are some of the fees that have been put into place. Um, but they didn't expect the cost to come so quickly, especially right after, relatively speaking, the new labeling requirements and the fees that the business would that the industry would incur from that. They didn't expect the costs, the fees to be so high. And we'll talk about that, whether or not they are high and how that fee was come to, like how how were those fees created and how maybe they should be created. Um, and they were under the impression that they would be part of the consultation process to determine the fees, in which case they would have, um, you know, told, you know, had input to Health Canada officials like these are the things that perhaps you might want to consider when you're setting these fees as people who are being as business and people who are being would be extremely impacted by this process. And it's an important industry in Canada. So, you know, care should be taken, ideally to involve us in this process respectfully. And so there was a lack of, there was a complete lack of involvement and consultation with industry um, prior to the fees being announced. And that really upset um, small businesses, medium businesses and large businesses in addition to, uh, and their representatives such as the CHFA, the Canadian Health Food Association. And I mentioned that they were upset because the fees they perceived, their perception was that the fees were not calculated based on the impact on industry and culture diversity, and they had no input on fee determination. So how were the fees set? I'll go into this a little bit more. 
The fees set by Health Canada were, and I got this information from Health Canada as well, they were um, based on the estimate of how much it would cost, direct and indirect costs, to run the program, to run, to implement properly the 2004 nat nat um, Natural Health Products Regulations. Okay. Uh, including, uh, and so the fees are for, um, you know, getting a health product number the first time and then for every year thereafter. So if I launch this sunscreen, I need to pay to get a natural health product number. And then uh, there's a yearly reapplication fee. I need to pay for any site that I have uh, in Canada. That's like a warehouse, for example, or manufacturing. I have to pay if I'm importing into Canada. I have to pay for the right to sell. It's a yearly right to sell. So there's these fees that have been created. And according to industry, the fees are too high, which I will talk about. Whether or not they are, we don't know. But I'm going to get into that detail very finely. The other fee um, that they were upset about is innovation. Okay, And I was going to talk about it later, but I'm going to bring it now. Where there was this new fee that kind of took everyone by surprise where if a um, company like AOR all the way through to um, someone who's creating like, again, sunscreens, um, if they wanted to create a new supplement with a novel ingredient or a new combination of ingredients. So let's say I put silicon with chlorella, right? And no one's done that before, right? Or, or Vitality, for example, I think they put um, spirulina with iron. As an example, that was like a new combination and iron is better absorbed with vitamin C and all these things, right? So let's say they did that. Health Canada um, created this new category called like the class three novel application where the cost for getting uh, that first time natural health product number for that um, product is, I think it was like $58,000. It, it's high, like around 58,000 Canadian dollars. So boom, like really big cost, right, that they've never had before. So it was a big surprise. And then the subsequent applications, like the next year, the cost would go down to around $7,000. But any other company could go in and, and, and kind of piggyback on that lower cost. So um, what that could result in, we don't know for sure if it will, but one of the potential causes is that uh, results is that very few companies other than large companies like AOR will be able to create new products on the market for us right and so um and aor itself has come out saying that they're concerned about that about large businesses like themselves crowding out small businesses um in, in the market and in terms of innovation right so that's that was a big concern that came up as well now if you have any comments here watching this live Put them in. If you have any questions or comments, put them in now because it takes a little bit of time for your comments to show up for me. And I want to honor that you're here. I see that there are viewers. Thank you for showing up and being um, and being an active participant in this process. So um, the fees were set by Health Canada um, solely on direct and direct costs for running the program. They did. Um, do what's called the uh, small. Uh, they did include what's called the small business mitigation. In that if you're a small business and you're a small business, if you have under 100 employees or make between 30000 and $5 million in annual revenue, then you get uh, some discounts. So 
if you get 100% off your first pre-market evaluation, so the first assessment for a natural health product number. So if you if you open up shop and it's your first ever time, you get 100% off of that fee. And then subsequent um, fees, are, uh, subsequent licenses are 50% off for this pre-market evaluation. If you have a site uh, and you need a license for that, you get 25% off. And if you are applying for an annual right to sell your product, then you get 25% off. Okay. However, the issue is that the issue as is perceived by the industry and stakeholders and which I can understand their perspective is that there was no analysis done. And I'm actually kind of surprised by this, to be quite honest, on the potential actual financial impact on small and medium businesses. So, for example, does that um, small business mitigation does that actually mean that small businesses can continue to do their business and stay in business and stay profitable? We don't know, right? So, um, for example, how could I determine that? I could take a sample of small businesses in the natural health product industry in Canada. I can, you know, get get you know, collaborate with them to get a certain amount of information on their profits and their products and how many products they have and NPNs and that kind of stuff. I can then run a statistical analysis saying, well, if I implement the, these fees as they are now, and, you know, we'll include the, the you know, the small business, business mitigation, there may be some tax deductions for these increased costs that are incurred, right? They, I, uh, as far as I can tell, you can get tax re, uh, uh, deductions for any reasonable fees incurred in the sale of your product, which this would apply. And if I were to, you know, so I, I would be able to run all those numbers and at the other, at the, you know, the result would be um, what would be the profit? What would be the impact on profit? And would it be, would these small businesses survive? And if the answer is no, then we reduce the fees, right? In order to ensure that Canadian small businesses can continue to operate in Canada. And why is this important um, from a culture diversity um, impact? So there was no cultural diversity impact analysis. And what do I mean by that? And this to me was actually a big surprise. I was like, oh, I know I never even thought of this. But for example, let's look at the traditional Chinese medicine or the indigenous um, medicine um, industry, right? Um, the perception, and again, I'm not sure about this, but the industry perception is that these um, products are mostly offered through small businesses. They're not, it's, and for example, in traditional Chinese medicine, they use over 400 different kinds of herbs and they use them in different combinations for their, for their um, treatment, right? For their, for their um, medicine and healthcare, for health promotion and well-being as well. And it may be that um, these the small businesses that are supplying these herbs, they're not large, you know, they're not like large drug industries that are doing this, right? It may be that with the um, importation fees that are set that we can, that these businesses will not be able to provide the service to um, TCM practitioners um, or to consumers purchasing TCM and a significant portion of that um, industry would close, if not all of it. Same thing for indigenous origin products, right? So there would be potentially an impact on certain vulnerable populations within the industry. And we don't know because that analysis has not been done. 
and it should be done. I, I, I agree that there should be a cultural diversity impact analysis. There's also a potential for the innovation impact analysis, right? Like what, what could potentially happen in terms of um, innovation? So there's because of that class three. And then there's the Canadian business impact. So remember I told you that um, you can still buy products online that don't have MPN numbers? Well, as per the representative from the Canadian Health Food Association, the door to unregulated foreign products remains wide open to Canadians who will find more variety at a lower price online. So it could be that the fees at the, at the amount that they're currently set will, will you know, close a significant portion of small to medium-sized businesses and people will look elsewhere outside of Canada to unregulated foreign products to purchase. So we lose local Canadian businesses and local Canadian cultural diversity options. And instead, the money is now funneled out of Canada. Not good, right? So there's the, those are the fat, some of the, you know, considerations and perceptions. And then there's the human factor. Industry and stakeholders are very upset regarding how consultation has been conducted by Health Canada since, um, you know, since the these cost recovery fees have been released. So um, as an example that the representative gave me, there was a meeting between Health Canada and stakeholders, including the Canadian Health Food Association, where they were sharing information on how the cost um, recovery fees had been calculated. In that meeting, it was uh, it was a Zoom meeting, and all of the participants were muted, so no one could speak and ask questions. And at the end of the at, at the end of Health Canada talking to them, the uh, meeting was ended with no opportunity for questions or discussions. Um, the way that Health Canada has been um, gathering consultation input, and this has been happening since May, and it ends August tenth, twenty twenty three. So this is the time to put in your input is it's an online form. So you go online and I put in the website. I've also put it into the description notes. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube or into the podcast notes, if you're listening to this on podcast and it's a form that you can click on and you can put in your, um, your comments and your input. Um, however, there's for, I think that that's extremely um, good to have. However, perhaps it's not well-rounded enough. Perhaps the um, Canadian Health Food Association is right in that uh, in the interactions that they've had with Health Canada, you know, having that in the same room discussion and conversation is always different than uh, having input online, right? It's a different um, kind of interaction and not being able to have that kind of in the room discussion with very large stakeholders in this industry could be perceived as disrespectful. And I can understand that perspective that's being put out there by the industry. And so we're going to talk about exactly what you can do um, in order to have your voice heard and make a positive impact. Um, I'm going to put in a comment from a Facebook user. So the comment is uh, 58,000 is like a patent. So no one should be able to piggyback or lower first new ingredient license or number question mark. Okay, I'm going to um, try to um, properly answer this question. I'm not sure if I fully understand it, but um, the $58,000 um, class three innovation fee for the first time that a new supplement ingredient or combination of ingredients, for example, is being proposed or 
you know, new, new, any kind of natural health product, which I'm thinking if it's also including sunscreen, it's kind of crazy, but it's not a patent. That company, the first one to propose that new ingredient or combination of ingredients has to pay $58,000. After that, that same company or any other company in subsequent years can, um, pro- can, um, sell that same product for a lower annual renewal fee, which I think is around $7,000. Now, you would say, well, that first year that company has um, the rights, you know, they're the only company selling it. Well, it's a one-year advantage. And Health Canada is saying that um, the proposed time to evaluate new new um, products is ranging around, I think it was 300 days, which by the way, industry is also very upset about. They're not happy about that time frame. They think it's too long. So, you know, paying $58,000 and then 300 days later being able to, um, you know, sell the product. Um, and so there are concerns also behind the scenes. So again, I'm not giving you all the information, but some of the concerns also have to do with the process. And so they're calling it, that's why you might see um, in certain um, kind of social media outlet, uh, releases by industries that they're calling it a broken system. Um, part of that broken system has to do with how long it takes for um, something to be, uh, for a for some a company to say, I want to sell this a natural health product and then to receive the approval and the natural health product number, they think that that 300 day, for example, is too long and and it's onerous for the um, company who's trying to do business and that that process should be shorter, more efficient. And then once the process is made efficient, right, the program is made efficient, then the um, then the direct and indirect costs can be calculated, plus the economic impact analysis, plus the cultural diversity impact analysis, plus the Canadian business impact analysis. So um, basically what the health, what the industry wants, as far as I can tell, the, you know, the industry represented by stakeholders such as the Canadian Health Food Association is, it's not that they don't want cost recovery of, of any kind. They recognize that there probably will need to be some fees charged in order to fund a um, efficient and well-run program that still needs to be um, created. That they, in their opinion, that's not what's currently in place. So it needs to be made efficient and needs to be run uh, well, so that there aren't exorbitant waiting times and excess unneeded fees. Right? Costs, direct and indirect costs. They want to pause uh, on the cost recovery fee process so that that can occur, and a full economic innovation, cultural diversity, and Canadian business impact analysis can be conducted in order to better inform those fees, plus respectful in the same room consultation so that they feel heard and respected during this process. That's the human factor. So the Canadian Health Food Association has created an advocacy um, campaign called Save Our Supplements. And what we need to understand is that that campaign, the SOS campaign, is not against regulations, nor is it against cost recovery. It is um, in they what they want is a functional system that is in the best interest of all. That is different than a segment of the population that is um, being represented by individuals like um, Sean Buckley, who's a, a constitutional lawyer. And what that 
very small segment of the population is saying we we don't want any regulation. We want um, natural health products to be like food. We don't want any oversight. There should be no oversight and no cost recovery. So they want to reverse even the 2004 regulations, for example. Okay, and there's other subtleties to this conversation, and that includes Vanessa's law and all that kind of thing. If you're very deep into this topic. And you're upset because I haven't covered the, the thing with Vanessa's Law. I, my apologies. It's just it, it can get very complicated. And I want most people to understand what is needed to be known in order to take action. So I'm going to cover this now. What you can do now. Here are three things that you can do now. And I put the links in the show notes. You can go to Health Canada and uh, to the proposed fees consultation website and click on the online form and fill it out and have your input. And I actually put in the um, show notes on YouTube a sample of the information that I submitted to Health Canada as part of that consultation process. And it's the same uh, information that I submitted to my my, uh, member of parliament, my MP. So you can submit a letter to your MP, you can request to see your MP in person, that sounds like too much work, go to the Save Our Supplements website. They have a pre-populated form. You just have to put in your address and your name. It creates it um, for you. And then you submit it. It submits it for you online. So that's what I used. But I did personalize the information. And again, I put the information that I personalized into the show notes of YouTube and the podcast. And additionally, you can write a letter to the health minister. Those are the three things you can do. For now, for this specific issue, the cost recovery proposal, for the future, um, the natural health product industry is going to be seeing a lot of change. And Health Canada, um, you know, I believe in um, the inherent um, goodwill of the of the general intent. While the process may not have been ideal, I understand that there's a general intention for improvement and for us to feel safe as consumers and to have quality products balanced with the industry, um, you know, like the Canadian businesses and as consumers having access to what we want and the cultural diversity. So there is a regulatory plan for 2023 to 2025 where there are going to be regulations amending the natural health products and the food and drug regulations. It's called the self-care framework. So pay attention to what's going on And I will continue to release information as it comes up um, to help you better understand the process. Um, And remember, even if you think that the solution is deregulation completely, that is very unlikely to happen. So cost recovery fees are coming, whether you like it or not. That's my assessment of the situation. I could be wrong, but that's my assessment of the situation. So from a risk reduction perspective, you can still make an impact in terms of asking again for them to do a better, more complete, um, more full spectrum analysis of the situation so that we can eliminate this fear and anxiety that is being, um, you know, is just running through the industry and consumers because of a lack of knowing. The fees could even be perfect. They could be perfect. We just don't know. The analysis has not been done in the way that it perhaps should be done. That is my perception of the situation. So um, I have a comment here um, from a Facebook user. Thank you so much for the great answer and information. I really appreciate it. Great solutions. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm I'm so glad. <laughs> I have to admit, this was one of my more challenging topics 
And my apologies if I have misrepresented anybody. Please, again, reach out to me, info at drpatriciamills.com. If you have any um, you know, input, um, please put your comments in, you know, in the put your questions in the comments. Respectful interaction is encouraged and welcome. And I look forward to seeing you at the next Wild Wisdom Show. What we're going to be talking about next week is healthy fats and oils we should eat and cook with, with and the toxic ones to avoid. So general topic for everybody that I think will be very interesting. Thank you, everybody who joined live and who asked your questions. I appreciate it. And I will see you soon. If you watch this and you enjoyed it, please save, share, and subscribe. Sharing is caring and more people need access to information that could make a significant impact for everybody uh, on an individual and in this case, on a very large economic level and cultural diversity as well. So thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. Thank you.